0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: The interesting thing that in everything that Paul writes, everything I believe that Paul lives, he lives to the glory of God and you and I need to be that way. That everything about our lives needs to be to the glory of God whatever our hands find to do, to do it as unto the Lord. Whether that be in our working situation, our life situation with families, whatever it is, that our lives would be lived to the glory of God.
0: When you go throughout your day, do you think about how all you do should be for the purpose of glorifying God? Pastor David will be teaching through Romans about glorifying God. The Apostle Paul is saying in this text that there are many ways you can glorify Him. The only way you can glorify God is if you hold fast to the hope of God. Eternity stands before you. He is the God of hope. So when you get hindered or discouraged about glorifying God, focus on hope and receive joy. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 7, for part one of our message entitled, Abounding in Hope.
1: Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The interesting thing that in everything that Paul writes, everything I believe that Paul lives, he lives to the glory of God. And you and I need to be that way. That everything about our lives needs to be to the glory of God. Whatever our hands find to do, to do it as unto the Lord. Whether that be in our working situation, our life situation with families, whatever it is, that our lives would be lived to the glory of God. Beloved, that's the reason we were created. God created us For his glory. And we ought to be living our lives again in a way that's going to give him glory in every aspect of it. And we want to continue reading on here in verse 8. He says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it's written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Paul uses passages from Psalms from Deuteronomy and from the prophet Isaiah to again declare that it is God's purpose and plan all along to bring Gentiles to faith. Paul brings, again, this idea that there's these two people group, both Jews and Gentiles, that are being drawn together into the church. And it's an encouragement for those that are Gentiles to know that, hey, they have the very same blessing as the Jewish believers do. And it's instruction to the Jewish believers that, hey, you know what? These Gentile believers have the same blessings that you do. The thing is, we are all part of the body of Christ, just as we spoke last week. And it doesn't matter the background of an individual. Once they come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are together unified in Christ. It doesn't matter the denomination, but if they are under the teaching of the fullness that, hey... Faith comes through the very grace of God. Faith in Jesus Christ, Christ alone, for the completeness and the forgiveness of our sin. They are our brothers and sisters. Now, there's a lot of things that make different denominations and different church groups. But when you look at folks who believe that it is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that we have the forgiveness of sin, it's not the blessing of any man, it's not the keeping of any rules, it's not through anything. That God himself took upon himself human flesh, dwelt among men, lived a holy and a righteous life, gave his life as a sacrifice for us, that if we have faith in that completed sacrifice, we receive the forgiveness of sin, then they are our brothers and our sisters, regardless of how their church worships, regardless of the administration or the governance of that church. We are brothers and sisters together in Christ. And even as Paul was dealing with that battle just between Gentile believers and Jewish believers of his day, we still deal with it today, don't we? People of different denominations, I don't know if he's really you know saved or not. Does he have faith in Jesus Christ, Christ alone. Not that the church is going to be any part of his salvation, but that it is Christ and Christ alone, the one, the true, the only Son of God. And we can get into that and we'll probably touch on it a little bit more as we go on this morning. But right now, let's take a look at verse 13. He says, Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Five, I believe, very powerful points that Paul is making just in that verse. One single verse, these things. And I believe that this is a very powerful, pivotal verse in this entire passage. One of the first things he speaks about is the God of hope. Well, who is this God of hope? of hope. This is the God of hope that spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden after they knew that they sinned and he made provision for them that they could continue in relationship with him, This is the God of hope that spoke to Noah and his family after destroying the entire earth and says, whenever you see that rainbow, you can have hope and the knowledge that I'll never destroy the world again in that way. This is the God of hope that spoke to a man named Abram living in a pagan culture involved in the pagan worship of his day and says, come here, I'm going to take you out of that and I'm going to show you a land that you've never seen. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. This is the God of hope that spoke to a young man by the name of Joseph, whose family had turned against him. His brothers sold him into slavery. And in the very depths of an Egyptian prison, this God of hope says, if you continue to trust me, I will preserve you. And God raised him from prison to the palace, and again made him influential, not only in saving the Egyptian culture of the day, but even his family that had turned against him. This is the God of hope that spoke to Israel after they had been slaves in Egypt for almost 500 years to take them out and to begin a brand new nation and do in them and work in them a brand new thing. This is the God of hope that spoke to that nation Israel after they lived for years and years in disobedience and rebellion against God and he allowed them to go into Babylonian captivity that brought them back out of that captivity. This is the God of hope that that same rebellious nation as they turned against God and God was silent before them for five hundred years, then came to them and spoke to a wild man living out in the desert that said, Prepare ye the way of the Lord as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. This is the God of hope that man in the depth of his sin was able to look to his son who Took upon himself human flesh and lived a righteous and a holy life before us. That whoever would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved. This is the God of hope that as Israel continued to turn against him and he brought discipline to them. Some two thousand years later, in 1948, called them back as a nation and says, "I'm continuing my work in them." This is the God of hope that you and I look to when the worst of life comes and hits us and attacks us and against us, that we can understand and know that this ain't all there is, that eternity stands before us yet. This is the God of hope that we can trust in and hope in and know that he is not ignorant nor silent in our sufferings and in the fears and the problems and the pains that we have. This is the God of hope that we hold to. And that's what Paul writes to this church in Rome. And he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. You and I as believers need to be filled with joy and peace. Why? Because our circumstances are fine? No, but because we have a great God. We need to be filled with joy and peace because the world around us has absolutely no joy and no peace. Jesus says that He would give us peace, not like the world gives, but He gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And you and I need to be living that way. There needs to be a joy in our life that the world does not understand. Paul says that you and I need to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice always in the Lord. You know what? You and I do not have a right to be grumpy. We do not have a right to be grouchy. We do not have a right to complain. The world ought to look at you and I and say, I don't know what it is about them. Man, this is going bad in their life. That's going bad in their life. That's going bad in their life. But there is an inner joy in their life. There is a a, a presence about them that speaks peace you know what if we allow the enemy to drag us down and suck us into the muck and the mire suddenly the light of the gospel the hope that is within you is extinguished and the world around us said well they're no different than we are whatever that thing of christianity of church that they're involved in that's no different than i am But you know what, when we allow God to work and move, that God of hope moving and working in our lives to fill us with joy and peace, the world takes notice. And the only way that we can have that is, as Paul says here, in believing. Believing what? Believing the greatness of my God the greatness that He has over every situation that I come against, the greatness and the knowledge that He is my God of hope. And just as He's promised in His Word, and we've seen the fulfillment of His Word over and over and over in the testimonies of His saints, and over the last 2,000 years as we've looked at the church and again the movement of God in the lives of believers and the testimony of believers for generation upon generation upon generation, I can believe, I can have, hope and in that believing that joy and that peace becomes mine and i now can now as he says now i can abound in hope i can abound in hope though i look at the world and I say man it is a mess and i don't see any real quick answers outside of a trumpet calling us going out of here I don't see a whole lot of things going on right now that I can find hope in. There's there's not hope in the economy. For many, there's not hope in doctor's reports. For many, there's not hope in relationships. For many, there's not hope in a whole lot of things on this plane. Beloved, that's why we have to abound in the hope of who we believe in and the reality that He is a God of hope. And you and I need to be living in that way, that there is that anchor. anticipation, not anxiety, no, this anticipation of the knowledge that our God is going to intercede. And he will do supernaturally in our life things that we could never even begin to imagine. And that's why he says it is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The work and the move of the Holy Spirit in the church today is to bring into the church and into the lives of every individual believer, dunamis, that Greek word for power. We get the word dynamite from, and more believers than I know of seem more like fizzled out firecrackers than we do dynamite. Why? Because we're not walking in the power and the authority and the giftings of the Holy Spirit in our life. And Paul says, Listen, I pray that the God of hope might fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, what a blessing. That is for anyone. And I want that blessing to be yours this morning. Even as we continue on in the study, there's a lot right there that we could, man, we could make that one verse the study this morning, but we're going to cover some more territory. Let's look on in verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brother, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. I believe that what Paul had heard about the church there in Rome was that there was a level of maturity in their life. He heard of those signs of maturity that he was able to say, you know what, I'm confident of this thing concerning you. And the levels of maturity that I believe that he saw in them was, number one, their righteousness of living. He says that you are full of goodness. I believe one of the second things that he saw is their knowledge. He said you are filled with all knowledge. And then thirdly, they were able to instruct, where he says they are able also to admonish one another. Well, what do I mean by these things? I believe that for every believer, these are the signs of maturity. And to have one without the others is immaturity. You really need to have all three to be able to look and see and and understand that I am a mature person in Christ. Let's look at the first one first. The idea of righteousness. You and I, as a believer, if we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we ought to be walking in righteousness. We ought to be doing the right stuff. There ought to be choices that are made in our lives that are honoring to God in every area. Just like he said back in verse 7, to the glory of God. The world ought to be able to look at us and say, there is a righteous man, there is a righteous woman. Their word is their bond. The activities of their lives glorify God. They do the right stuff. And we speak about people who may be caught up in some cults and we're really impressed by them and say, oh yeah, but they're really good people. You know what? You ought to be good people. You ought to be exemplary in the places that you work. You ought to be exemplary in your families, particularly if you have families that are non-believers. You ought to be exemplary in your of your friends and of your neighbors. They ought to look at you and know that there is a righteousness, that there is a purity and an honesty and there is integrity in your lives in order that your light might shine so brightly that when they see your good works, they'll give glory to God. And beloved, if it's not there, then there is immaturity in your life. If the world can look at you and others on the outside can look at you and there's not that righteousness, there's not that desire for purity and honesty and integrity in your life, then that is a sign of immaturity in your life. Are you covered by the blood? Yes, because it's through faith in Christ. It's not your works. But there needs to be in your life. Exemplary behavior. The second thing, knowledgeable. He says, I I see or I understand that you are filled with all knowledge. How knowledgeable are you of the Word of God, of the heart of God? Are you a student of His Word or do you feel, you know what, I, I, I come to church on Sunday, we, we get a good message for 45, uh, 50 minutes, and, and that, that's good for me. I, I, I know a lot. I Oh, I know a lot of Bible studies. I've gone to Sunday school in the past, and I know a lot of Bible studies or Bible characters. But do you really know the Word of God? A great sign of maturity in a believer is continually growing in the Word of God, And if you don't know the Word of God, and even though you're making the right choices and the right steps in your life, if you're not knowledgeable of His Word, then you're not mature. And then he moves on even to the point of able to instruct. Now this really kind of nails it down when he says, able to admonish one another. Are you able to give reason for the hope that's within you? Are you, because you're a student of the Word, because you know what the Word of God speaks, are you able to teach others? And you say, well, Pastor, I I get really nervous getting in front of a classroom. That's not what I'm talking about, although we do need more teachers in Sunday school, so um, we'll be taking names later. But what I'm speaking about is, are you able, even on a one-to-one basis, to be able to share the truth of God's Word with someone? Are you able, even on a one-to-one basis, To be able to rightly divide the word of truth. I'm not saying you need to know all the Greek and all the Hebrew and all the the background. I'm not saying that. Hey, I use tons of helps. I don't know all that stuff myself. I use tons of help. What I'm saying is, are you able, are you knowledgeable of the word? Are you a student of the word of God in your life that you're able to instruct others in what it says and what God's purpose and what God's plan is? If you're not. You're immature. Even if you're righteous in your life, you you are walking and growing and you're making the right choice. And, and even if you're learning more and more about it, if you're not able to share that with someone, if you don't have the ability to be able to say, you know, this is what the Word of God says then that is a mark of immaturity in your life. What do you do when they come knocking on your door two by two with either their little briefcases or the name tags that say that they're elders? What do you do? Do you just close the door in fear because you don't know enough of the Word to be able to even combat a little bit of what they're saying? Or do you know the Word? Are you a student of the Word? Are you mature in your faith and in the Word of God that you can stand and give reason for what you believe? I'm not saying you've got to win them to Christ or that you've got to win the debate, but are you able to speak because you know? You know, the sad thing is there are believers who are 30 years in the Lord. They've known Christ for 30 years, and they're still in the nursery. There's believers who've been in the Lord 20, 25 years, maybe even 15 years, and they're still toddlers. They're still falling down all the time. Why? Because they're not maturing in the Lord. And then on the other hand, I know believers who have only been in the Lord months or a year, a year and a half. And already they're mature. Why? Because again, their lives have been changed dramatically, and they're walking in righteousness. They're knowledgeable of the Word because, man, they are devouring it. They are eating it on a daily basis. It is nourishing to their life, and they know enough, and they're learning enough about it, and they are bold enough about it to be able to share that, and they know that when they come upon somebody that's going through stress and strain and problems in their life, that they know enough about the Word of God that they can instruct others from the Word of God and give them hope on it. Beloved, that's maturity. And Paul says, look, I I myself, I'm confident concerning you. He understood and saw that in that church of Rome that there was a maturity. Why? And I believe that maturity came about because of the extreme amount of the press and the stress that was against them. How easy it is for you and I to be believers today and continue to abide in the nursery and be bottle-fed and cared for because there's no real stress or attack against us. He says, nevertheless, brethren, I've written to you more boldly on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. He says, I'm, I'm writing these things, again, to remind you. There, it's, it's not like you know, you've know you been going to church for 20 years, and then finally one day you say, well, you know what? I've been going to church for 20 years. I've been a believer for 20 years. I've been under Bible study for 20 years. I think I pretty well know it, so I don't need to go anymore. I don't need to hear anymore. I don't need to learn anymore. The one thing I know, the more I learn about it, the more I realize I don't know about it. And it's exciting to me that when I can go and listen to others preach, and they might preach or teach off of a passage that I know very well, that I've taught through many times myself, and I have all kinds of understanding and, and knowledge of that. Verse, And all of a sudden, another individual will teach on that, and God will reveal something new and fresh. It's a living word. It's powerful. You never come to the point where, you, where, where you've had enough of it. You've learned enough. You always need to be learning. Always receiving, understanding, and that's why Paul says, I, "I know you guys are mature, but I just want to write these things again to remind you." But let's let's move on from there. In verses sixteen through nineteen, he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory. In Christ Jesus, in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ." It's interesting in all of these, Paul first of all says, man, that I am ministering the gospel of God. There in verse 16. That is the focus. That's his desire. I am ministering the gospel of God. He says, I am a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I do. That's the call on his heart. That's his focus of his life. A little bit later, he says, all these things I do for the reason to, to glorify Christ Jesus there in verse 17. He's doing it for his glory and for his honor. Paul wasn't trying to build up some big ministry of his own. Hey, this is the international ministry of the Apostle Paul. No, as a matter of fact, he became less and less as he went. Oh, he would speak of himself as a bondservant. He would give them instruction and correction as an apostle. But again, it wasn't about him. It was all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the Book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to TheOpenWord.com. And then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at the Open Word Radio. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.